Uh, I am your reader for today, so sit tight. Matthew 20, 20 to 28. When the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him, what is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your, at your left hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus told them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Thanks, Ash. Well, today is the day. Today is Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day of all days, we talk about politics. What, Pastor Nick, have you done? Well, if, for those of you who have been with us for the past few weeks, we've been in a series called The Good News, The Gospel in Public Life. And what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, really, is the ways in which the gospel intersects with public life. And so we ha we've covered um, work. We've had an introductory message to this series. Uh, we talked about, what else did we talk about other than work? Art. Yes, that was a really good one. You can go back and listen to that if you're artistically minded. Um, and uh, today we're going to talk about politics, and next week will be the last week in this series, and we'll be talking about Christian ethics, particularly the areas in which Christian ethics intersect with our culture in two very prominent areas, which is sex and money. Now, we were scheduled, and this is, this is a, a blessing to you, we were scheduled to talk about sex and money today, but I thought, not on Mother's Day. So you get politics instead, right? So it's a blessing to you. There you go. All right. So there are two things that we are told that we are never supposed to talk about at, thanks, at the Thanksgiving table, and those two things are po politics and religion, correct. And today we're going to talk about both of them together. <laughs> if this were your grandmother's dining room table, it might just burst into flames. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, so, before we get started, I want everyone to do something with me. It's just, this is a communal exercise that will help us all relieve some of the tension that we're experiencing right now at the very word politics. Just take a deep breath. There you go, in and out. And I want uh, you to understand that there may be some things today uh, that will make you a little uncomfortable. Maybe not even uncomfortable. Maybe we'll just make you ask a couple further questions. The reality is that we can't ignore this the idea of politics because the Bible doesn't ignore this idea. And there are numerous areas and ways in which the, the Bible talks about the political culture of its day. And if the Bible talks about those things, we cannot neglect them in the church. We simply can't, right? Otherwise, we'd just be kind of bracketing off a whole section of a whole subset of things that the Bible is speaking to that we don't allow to enter into our 
uh, our community. Uh, the thing, don't, we don't allow to enter into our conversation as a church. And so for that reason, it's important. It's important that we do this. Now, the, very often, the reason that some of these things make us uncomfortable, the, the reason that at times these things hit really close to home, right, is that uh, they, in some way, shape, or form, challenge us, right? They can, they can challenge some of our preconceived notions about what is or is not good. But the, the thing about the Bible is that the Bible is always doing this. If every time you open up the Bible, you're only reading things that affirm what you already think, it, chances are you have made God in your own image, right? And that God wants to, in some real and true way, challenge us. The Bible says over and over that we're called to be a changed people, that God wants to change us. And if that's what he's wanting to do, he wants to challenge us at points. He wants to challenge us on certain things. And so, if everything we hear out of the Bible, or if everything we hear in a sermon, or in the preparation for a sermon, as I was doing this week and was thoroughly challenged in some of my presuppositions, if we are always go to just hear the same thing over and over and over again, what will actually end up happening is that we'll just make this whole thing in our own image. We'll just make Jesus in our own image. We'll just make the Bible in our own image. And we'll essentially just be worshiping ourselves. And that's not what we want, what we want to do, is it? We want to worship a God who is true and real and sometimes has some things to say, of us, say to us about the ways in which we live our lives that do not meet up with the way that he would like us to live our lives. This is true. This is true in parenting. I don't know if you've ever been a child. That's all of you for the record. Um, <laughs> with a parent... But you know that your parents occasionally had to say things to you that you didn't like because they, were ha they had to create in you some change, right? They had to move you in a direction. And so today, as we talk about politics, and as maybe some of your presuppositions are challenged a little bit, I don't think this is going to be a firebrand of a message, but uh, hopefully you can see that as the Holy Spirit working within you, working within you, to bring you more into the kingdom of God rather, into the, rather than into the kingdom of this world. And let me tell you that even as I, like I said, as I prepared this message, I had some preconceived ideas and opinions that were challenged, even me, right? That should make you feel good that the person who's giving you a message is being challenged as he's writing it in some sense. So before we, but before we do this, before we hop right into the thick of it, I think it's really helpful for us to take a step back to orient ourselves around some of the ideas about what is politics and how we actually got that word. Because very often, the way in which we acquire the words we use and some of the connotations that those words have help us to frame our conversation well. Does this make sense? So I want to take a step back and I just want to look at where we got this word or this idea of politics. So the word politics comes from the Greek word polis. Is anybody familiar with this, polis, when I say that? Good, this helps me. And a, a, a Greek polis was a Greek city-state. So Troy or Sparta um, or Athens were all Greek city-states. They were polis. They were, I, I don't know what the plural of polis is, poli, something like that. Um, yeah, it's in Greek, so it has a weird pl pluralization. 
and within these different polis, people also began to think, because they were in these Greek city-states, about what a good citizen should look like, right? And within, within the Greco-Roman world, some of the, some of the disciplines that we have come to think of as very near and dear to our hearts, like democracy, sprung up or at least was um, refined in some way in the polis. This is, the polis began this place, became this place where philosophy uh, sprung up as well. It was, it was this place in the Greco-Roman world, these different city-states, where real and true thought began to be given to what it looks like to be a people in a place, what it looks like to belong to a people in a city-state, what it looks like to belong to a group of people. So to be political then, in the Greek sense of the term, simply means to be a good citizen, right? To be political in the Greek sense of the term, when the term first came about, is simply to be a citizen of the polis. What does it look like to be a good citizen of your state, of your city, of the place where you find yourself? This is politics at the core of what the word means. And it was from the Greeks then uh, that we begin to think about these ideas, that we begin to think about what our public life looks like. And what, and what we find out is that everyone has a public life, right? Everyone has a politic, because everyone lives in public, right? Everyone engages in public. Everybody walks out their door into, or actually lives in their house in public, because I don't know about you, but CFU is still going to send me those bills every month, right? That, that tell me in some real and true way that I am a citizen of this community, regardless of whether or not I actually walk out my front door, right? I am still a citizen. My public life still happens because my, my very life happens within this city, within this community. And actually, our public lives then extend inside the walls of our church, um, not our church, our homes, right? Because, and this is very true, everything we do, even what we do in private, affects those around us. It really and truly does. And so if you think about it, all the ways in which we orient ourselves in the world, all the things we do or don't do, all the things we think or don't think, all the ways in which we speak, all the, all the ways in which we spend our money affect how we are as political beings in the world. Does this make sense? I'm trying to broaden the categories a little for us this morning. This is what it means to be political. This is what it means to be a citizen of a city, working for the good of a community, right? So if politics at its core is about how we live our lives in public, it's important that we think about these issues, right? To develop for ourselves, to, to develop for ourselves a politic, a philosophy or uh, thoughts about how, how we are to go about engaging publicly, how we are to go about living our lives as political entities, as political creatures. And as Christians, we are called to have a very specific politic. Now, what do you mean a very specific politic? What is it? Well, we are called to have a public life that reflects our King, Jesus. This is a very specific politic that we are called to have. We are called to reflect Jesus. 
Christians are called to engage in culture and public life in a way that is affirming and life-giving, that works for the good of our cities and communities, and which ultimately points to Christ, or more accurately, points to the Lordship of Jesus, all right? But how do we do this, and what does it look like, right? How, how practically do we do this? Well, luckily for us, the Bible, like I said earlier, does not leave us alone in this. It does not ignore these issues. And actually, Jesus speaks often about political issues. Jesus is always, if you read the New Testament, as particularly the Gospels, you realize that Jesus is always bumping up against these political issues. And as Christians, it's impossible, and I mean that, impossible to escape politics because the Bible doesn't let us. And we are citizens of a community. And if we are political beings, right, if we are political agents, if we live in public, we have to engage these issues, right? Have to. So, okay? Okay is the proper response. (laughs) I don't look for amens. I look for okay. okay. Thank you. Perfect. So, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn back to our teaching text for today. It's in Matthew 20, verses 28 through Uh, 20 through 28. And one thing I want you to notice about this text, uh, yeah, we have, we have it, uh, the part of it up on the screen there, is that something really interesting happens in Jesus's interaction with the sons of Zebedee, James and John's mother. So on Mother's Day, we're talking to a mom. Jesus is talking to a mom, an overbearing mom, a mom you don't necessarily want to be like, just for the record, mothers in the room. So this is a analogy on the side of this is how not to be a great mom. She thought she was being really good, but she, this is a tiger mom, right? Didn't, wasn't that a thing? Anyways. So I think this passage is really instructive for us about, uh, as we attempted to find how Christians are to be people in public, how, the, how we are to be political, or specifically uh, how we are called by Jesus to engage with power how, and specifically, how are you called to engage with and utilize political power? Does this make sense? So this is what I think Jesus is speaking to in this passage, and, he, and I think he speaks to it really clearly. So James and John were two of Jesus' closest disciples, right? They were in his inner circle, and obviously their mom was with them or traveling with them or there for a visit, um, and she decides that it's a good time to make sure that her boys get what's coming to them right? So she walks up to Jesus and essentially asks Jesus if they can be president and the secretary, or vice president and the secretary of state uh, when he takes over. This is, what she, this is what she thinks Jesus has come to do, and this is what she is essentially asking, that when you are in your kingdom, when your kingdom comes, when you are a literal, physical, earthly king of the world, this is what she asks, can you put my boys on your right and your left? Can they be your two highest officials? This is what she asks. And Jesus' response to her is fascinating. It really is. Because notice that he totally turns their mom's question on its head. This is what he says. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Right? So what Jesus is referencing is his, his death, right? his suffering, his service for the world. Because you see, James and John and their mom thought, like I said earlier, that Jesus' kingdom was like every other kingdom. 
But Jesus begins to show them that his way, his way, his orientation towards power is different. And just so that we as readers don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying, he calls all of his disciples over and he reiterates exactly what he means, right? So if you turn to verse 25, this is exactly what Jesus means when he's talking to uh, James and John's mother, the sons of Zebedee's mother. He says this in verse 25, Jesus calls them together and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them right? So the Gentiles, that's us, just for the record, unless you're Jewish, which is great. Uh, Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, correct? And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Slave. This word in Greek is doulos. It means either slave or household servant. But as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, you are not to lord authority over people like the, gen- like the rulers and the authorities of the Gentiles do. Rather, you are to be like me and serve, right? To become a slave to the needs of others. This is what Jesus says. Jesus tells the disciples that the way that power, that actual political power, right, is exemplified in his kingdom is through service, is through service. In Jesus' kingdom, true power is not the ability to make people do what you want them to do by force or intimidation or authority. Jesus redefines power here and what power looks like in his kingdom. And Jesus will physically embody this teaching, right? He will physically embody this teaching when he chooses to sacrifice his life for us on the cross when he could have simply come and taken over by force, right? Jesus reiterates this over and over again through his passion when he's speaking to Pilate, when uh, Peter cuts off the ear of the centurion. He says over and over again, I can do this by force if I want to, but I'm choosing to do it a different way, right? Jesus reiterates this numerous times as he is going on his way to the cross. You see, the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, and uh, and particularly Jesus himself, are quite clear on this. They're very clear on this. The power of Jesus is exemplified not in the power that can be had over people, not power that is over them to make them do things like the Gentiles do, Jesus says. Rather, it is a power from below, right? It's a power under, a power that is exemplified in service and sacrificial love. So I want you to keep these two categories in your head, power over, power under, because that's kind of going to be the the rubric through which we understand these two different types of political, political, because they're public power or authority. So let's apply this to the way we conduct ourselves in our public or our political life, all right? So Christians should be people whose political life is first and foremost, first and foremost, characterized by power under, right? By the power to serve, by the power given to us by God to serve and love those rather than the power to lord authority and strength over other people. 
So some of you have authority, right? I have authority over my children. I have some semblance of authority over this church as the pastor of it, right? We all have a kind of a shared authority here, but I am the pastor of this church. And so, uh, so there are two ways to go about exerting power, right? As a servant, right? As one who serves and betters and sacrifices for my children, right? And leads them and guides them. Or as an authoritarian, right? And that authoritarian power, Jesus says, is the way of the world. It's, it's not the way that people are to conduct themselves in his kingdom. It's not the way he, the ruler, the king of the universe, chose to conduct himself while he was on earth. So Christians should be people who love, serve, and sacrifice, who, who uh, emulate power under. So power over is the power to make people do what you want them to do, right? This is power over. And this is the power we are always seeking out in the world, out in culture. While power under is the power to create change. And it really, truly creates change. It's just a different way to create change. Through loving service. Through loving service. And let me tell you, we are constantly confronted, and I think you probably know this, we are constantly confronted with the choice between using our power over others to make them do what we want them to do, as opposed to using power under as a power to serve them and love them as they, to enable change or to, na- to enable them to cha- change, Right? We're always confronted with this choice. It's a binary, power over or power under. So let's just look at our own American political climate for a moment, right? Uh, why does one side want to win over the other? Power, right? <laughs> we want the power. That's what we want. It's not a surprise. It's not a secret at all, is it? Because, and, and, what do we say when my guy or my gal get into office, everything is going to be better because then we're going to endow them with the power to make things the way we want them to be, right? To make them by force, right? Now, it's democratic force in our country, but it's most certainly force, right? It's the passing of laws and things of that nature. And really, uh, what I want... Uh, to provoke in us today is for us to ask the question, right? When we put all of our energy or emotion behind this candidate or that candidate, are we doing things the wrong way around? Are we putting all of our emotion and energy to a way of exerting power that maybe Jesus didn't primarily call the church to? Does this make sense? When we put all our eggs in the political basket, whatever stripe of pol- political basket you happen to put your eggs in, have we put a little too much emphasis on a way of exerting power and authority that maybe Jesus doesn't call us to primarily? All right? Now, we live in a democracy, right? We live in, in a democratic society, a representative democratic government. So they ask your opinion, and you can give it, right? They ask your opinion. You can give your opinion. But if we place our, all of our emotional energy, or too much 
emotion and energy behind gaining power to make people who disagree with us change their ways, then maybe we have exchanged Christ-like power, the power under, for power over others. If all of your energy, all of your focus, all your emotion is put in this basket that says, when my guy or gal wins, it's going to make it like it, it needs to be. Maybe you have put all of your eggs in a basket that is not the basket Christ is asking us as the church to put our eggs in. i got to stop the egg analogy. It's not in my notes. And this is not, and I'll just answer the question, this is not primarily what we as Christians or as the church are called to do. It's not what we're called to exemplify in our public life, in our politics. To be honest with you, it makes me really, really sad uh, when I see Christians on both sides of the political spectrum, because there are Christians on both sides, uh, becoming the handmaidens of one particular political party or the other, and exchanging the very power of God for, for some fleeting political authority. It really makes me sad. And it is when the church attempts to exert power over others, when we, when we exchange the power that was given to us by Jesus, for the power to control others. That is historically when the church has gotten into the most trouble, all right? Just look at the abuses of the Middle Ages. Just look at all the times in which uh, the, the church has been so closely wed to political power that the church got to make full-on political decisions and make people do what they wanted them to do. You know what we got out of that? The Inquisition, the Crusades. It's not pretty. It really isn't. And I think the reason the church goes so awry when it gains that type of political power is because Jesus never intended us to have it, right? Jesus never intended us to have it. He intended us to be servants like him. So whenever the church confuses the power of the world for the power of God, we make a mess of things. Well, at least historically we have. But notice that this does not mean this does not mean that the church must be quietist, right? That we just have to have our own communes over in the corner, right? We are, call, we are not called to simply huddle up in a corner and not have anything to say in public and just kind of like quietly maintain our own lives. That's not what the church is called to. In, in this passage, we see that the church is called to an engagement, right? Jesus does say that the church is called to an engagement, but we are called to do it as citizens of our community, as, as members of our polis, of our, of our city. We are, we are not called to escape political power, but rather, because we cannot avoid it, we are called to, we are called to live politically. We are, allowed, we are called to live in public. And if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, the way, the primary way you're called to exemplify that is through service, is through love, is through power under. So you're probably saying at this point, Nick, I get it, right? This is the servant thing. Yeah, it's in the Bible, right? I get it. But what do we do now? What do we, who, let's get right down to brass tacks. Who do I vote for? Are you going to tell me who to vote for? No, <laughs> I won't. Um, even though I can now, because 
the president signed something this week that says, I totally could. I'm totally within my legal rights. We wouldn't get our, our nonprofit status taken away. But I'm not going to. So let's just get down to the issue, right? Actually, I am going to tell you about who to vote for. It's in my notes. Uh, I think uh, that Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 actually tell us who to vote for. I've changed my mind. Uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. It's the, it's the Lord's Prayer. And this is, what, this is how Jesus tells uh, his disciples how to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. According to this, you're supposed to vote for Jesus. Jesus for president, right? Unfortunately, if you write him in, he won't actually get elected. <laughs> if some of you think that's what you're supposed to do, that won't actually happen. But biblically, biblically, we follow King Jesus. We don't just believe that Jesus is the president. We believe that he is the king of the cosmos, and we do what he says, right? This is what, who Christians are. And I know, I know he wasn't on the ballot in November. Many of us wish that he was, right, on both sides. We've, I think everybody was kind of like, oh, just, yeah, that'd be great. This prayer says, on earth, Right? This prayer doesn't say, in heaven as it is in heaven. This prayer says, on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom, the reign or the rule or the region over which you have authority, right? A kingdom is, is, a, is, a, spatial, is a spatial thing. It's a, it's a place over which God has authority. May that come here. And the way in which that is enacted in the earth is through the church. It's through the church, biblically. And that has implications for us, right? That has implications. The primary implication of that is that we need to think differently about the way in which we engage with the world's power, like I said earlier, right? That we, go, we have a fundamentally different way of orienting ourselves towards power. That's number one. But I also think this has some other implications for us. If you are a Christian in this room, if you are somebody who makes the confession that Jesus is Lord, not just in America, but in the entirety of the world, right? That the whole world needs to follow his way, living under his authority, and uh, the way in which you engage in public, in political life, should be through service, through power under, not seeking power over, not seeking the power to control. But this also has some other interesting implications. And I think... Uh, the remainder of our time, I'm just going to go to talk through two of these implications. Now, this is a huge topic, gigantic, and I got to go fast because it's Mother's Day and you got to eat. And we could do multiple sermon series on this over, over many weeks. Uh, I have gigantic books. One's called The Politics of Jesus. It's just like this. That's a joke. It is. I do have a book called The Politics of Jesus, but it's medium-sized. It's a really good book if you ever want to read it. It's by a Yoder. We have Yoders in this room. Anyways. Uh, but there's a couple implications, I think, about this idea that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, that Jesus is President. And uh, I just want to run through those implications here with you for a moment. So the first implication is that we are political, right? We, we are political, but we are not partisan. We are not partisan. I don't think, and this is my opinion, 
But I don't think the church should ever fully identify with one political party or platform. That's my belief. And that is because we have already pledged allegiance to a political party, right? The party of Jesus. We are allowed, actually called to be political, to live in public, but we cannot ever, ever be partisan. Because Christians have no enemies. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have no enemies. And honestly, I think this is the greatest temptation of our time here in America. This, this is it, if you, if you were to ask me. We want to pick a side, right, and believe that that side is right, and that, and that then we, because that side is right, we can defame and denigrate the other as if they were the, the personification of evil, right, as if they were the devil himself. But when you think that, when you dehumanize another person, when, when you do that, it's just so unlike the heart of God, I think, for people. And let's be honest, we live in one of the most partisan times in the last 150-ish years in America. There's much more partisan parts of the countries in the world, and America itself has been far more partisan than we are today. It was called the Civil War, just for the record. Uh, so when you hear that, it's a little different. Andrew Jackson was literally dueling people in the front yard of the White House. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> Way more partisan than it is today. Um, can you just imagine with me for a moment, for a moment, what a church that does not defame or name call looks like in this climate? How different that church looks. What a witness for Jesus if we were to remain relatively neutral, speaking truth through service and love. A church that has politically excused itself from the mudslinging and has chosen instead to affirm the inherent worth of every human life. Let's leave the demonization for the demons. Every human being is a desperately loved child of God that Jesus died for. And we as Christians are forbidden, forbidden by Scripture to ascribe anything to those people other than the unsurpassable worth and value bestowed on them by their Creator. That is the only thing, biblically, we are allowed to ascribe to other human beings. In Ephesians 6, 12, Paul says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, this does not mean that we should not uh, be involved in public life, right? It simply means that we do not demonize people. We don't make them the enemy. We work against unjust systems and structures. We work to see people freed from sin and meet Christ, we, to see people freed from prejudice and racism. We work to see these things better, to see our community bettered but we never do it in a way that leads to partisanship. You know, as a pastor, I've learned something about all of you over the last seven months. You might not know this, but I've learned this. You are not all the same politically. What? You didn't all vote for the same people. 
I know you don't, I know you keep this a secret, but it's true, right? Everyone in this room didn't vote for the same people. Some of you are Republicans. Some of you are Democrats, right? This is, the, you exist and you're in this room. This is true. And some of you are Republicans who have some more Democratic leanings. And some of you are Democrats who have some more Republican leanings. You are in this room together. You've been hiding it, right? Because <laughs> you, you wanted to be in this room together. But you're in this room together, just for the record, right? And if we allow partisanship into the walls of this church, we would not be here together. In 1 John 4, uh, verses 20, it says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does, does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. If we allow partisanship into our hearts, then we allow partisanship into our church, and we cannot be the witnesses for the renewal and reconciliation of the world that Christ has called us to, because you, in some real and true sense, will hate a brother or a sister, and that is forbidden in Scripture. It is. It really and truly is. And the last thing, guys, the last thing I want to see as your pastor, as somebody who likes this place, is to see our own congregation rent apart by this, by whatever it is in culture that does this. I, I don't want it to happen. And I want our church, if I'm being future-oriented. I want our church to be a bastion for this type of love and this type of reconciliation and this type of relationship out into our city. I want them to go, that is weird. All those people, that is strange. What are they doing? One of them had a Hillary sign and the other one had a Trump sign and they went to church together. What in the world? What in the world? Who are these people? We call them Christians. That's what I would like to see. So that's number one, and I'm going to go really fast here. Number two, um, if our politics are primarily about service, if we need to reorient our, ourselves towards power, uh, then our primary political activity, the primary way in which we engage in the public or the political, should be small. It should be local. Too many people believe that when they walk into the voting booth every two, if you vote a lot, two years, if you vote uh, every four years, right? These are the numbers. Uh, believe that that's their political act, right? We walk in the voting booth and we check a box and we pat ourselves on the back. Man, I'm a good American. I'm awesome. And then I go watch TV for like 20 hours straight, right? Man, I've done great. I've done great things. And meanwhile, I have no idea who anybody living around me is right, on the four corners of my house. I have no clue what their names are. I just yell at their dog, right? We think that's a political act. This pastor who uh, I follow on Twitter tweeted this out last week. So this is a Twitter quote. Uh, he says, want to change the world? Begin in your home. Love your family. Pour into young people. Meet your neighbors. Seek the common good of your city. You want to change the world? That's where you start. That's what you're called to do. And I really think there's no truer words that have ever been spoken. 
There's nothing more political than the local, right? Than the local way in which you engage with the people around you. I truly believe that the most political thing we can do, both in our neighborhoods and in our communities and as a church, is to engage our neighbors well. I have a pastor friend in Iowa City, and in his neighborhood, right, just around him, is a large number of uh, West African refugees. And he grew up in West Africa. He was a missionary kid there, and he speaks French. And so, inevitably, he built relationships with some of these West Africans who also speak French. And so, uh, he's begun, like, liaising with the police uh, whenever they need a translator. But through these relationships, he also is, like, going to doctor's appointments with these people to help them get the care they need. Um, he's even, he goes to court with them when they're trying to figure out their court stuff, because there's a lot of court stuff when you're a refugee, uh, just so that they're not misunderstood. You know what I mean? Because it'd be amazing if you were trying to speak and the person listening to you didn't know what you were saying. So he's going to try to help them be understood so that they can get what they need, right? This is a very political... Now, when I say refugees, right, that's a very political word in our climate, right? But shrink that down to my, to my friend's neighborhood in Iowa City, and all he is doing is being a good neighbor, Right? He's doing the good that each and every one of us who claim to follow Jesus would say we should be doing. So, so here's what I wanted you to do for a moment, just to drive this point home. Take any big political idea, anything we debate, right, in public all the time. Shrink it down to the local level. Shrink it down to your own backyard. And there is something that, you, that can be done to change the world that may not have any really clear, even correlate to what's ever being debated in the halls of government. But as we engage politically, locally, we make the difference through service. See what my friend was doing there? Through service that changes people's lives. There are a lot of political opinions, right? There are a lot of political options out there. In the United States, it only feels like there's two, but there's a lot. And in the world, there are a lot more than two. And the world is a bigger place than America. But we are called as Christians to care for what Jesus cares about. And Jesus has a political platform. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so you can disagree with your neighbor about how, let's say, an issue, for instance, poverty is to be dealt with. Maybe you believe that the free market trickle-down economy is the best way to deal with poverty in our, in our country. Maybe, because hopefully you've done some research, right? Uh, maybe you believe that uh, comprehensive social systems are the best way to deal with poverty in our nation, right? And you, you, have, you can have an opinion about that, and you can give it, but the, the absolute non-negotiable if you're listening to Jesus well, is that we care for the poor, right? That's not, that's not political in, the, in terms of the halls of government type of thing. That is just Jesus 101. And so as Christians, as people of the cross, we are called to exemplify Christ's service in love. And it means that we live in public. It means that we reorient ourselves towards political power, that we not seek to gain power, not solely seek to gain power so that we can make the world what we want it to be, but rather come into our communities locally in a way that doesn't breed partisanship, but, but exemplifies service and love. This is what we're called to. And hopefully you've heard my heart on this. At least I hope you have. 
we are all political, and we all exercise a political identity in the world. But that identity is meant to look like Jesus. And if we, as a church, identify entirely with political systems or authorities that whose primary goal is not to look like Jesus, then there's a problem there. I just want you to see that. And here's, and this might ruffle some feathers, so you can yell at me after church, but there is no political orient- party orientation philosophy that has ever existed in the entirety of the history of the world that has ever completely aligned with the kingdom of God. Okay? And so we cannot put all our eggs in that basket. You see what I mean? All right. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we ask that you, Lord, would be our king and president that we would serve and love you, that we would be people who look like you, that we would, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be people of the cross, that we would be people of service and love, that we would be people who not do not seek to take power and control and make people do what we want them to do, but rather, like Jesus, that we would lay down our very lives, that people would see who you are and how much you love them, and they would be changed because of it. Jesus, we want to be a biblical people. We want to be a kingdom people. We want to be a people who follow after your name. And may we, in this community, may this group of people, these people in these seats, be ambassadors for that kingdom. May it be said of each and every one of you in this place that you are an ambassador of Jesus, that you look like him. And we pray it in your strong name. Amen and amen. So go today, I say it a lot, go today in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be his kingdom people. Amen.